Another person was executed on Florida's death row earlier this month. Will the state ever change its position on the death penalty? What does Marian consecration mean, and how do we properly honor Mary and the saints? These topics and more on this Encore edition of A View from the Top, coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Today's program features segments of previously recorded conversations that are still relevant today. In this segment, Bishop Parks and I discuss the death penalty and its future in the state. Pope Francis had made a change in the catechism regarding capital punishment and the Catholic Church. A lot of people always thought that the Catholic Church was against the death penalty, but that's not always the case, I I don't guess. What's your take? Well, John, it's good to be with you again, and you are correct. Uh, Pope Francis recently proposed a change to the catechism and specifically to the Church's teaching on capital punishment. The present catechism spoke about rare cases or instances where it might be permissible to execute somebody in order to protect society. However, with current advancements in the penal system and our prisons, correctional institutes all over the world, there really is virtually nowhere that society cannot be kept safe from an offender. So what the Holy Father has said, and this follows the uh, upon the thought of uh, both St. John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, as well as the thought of Pope Emeritus Benedict, is that the death penalty or capital punishment is to be considered inadmissible. That's the key word. In other words, that there really are no circumstances where the death penalty should be utilized as a punishment for someone. The reason for that, John, is that we believe that every human being has some inherent dignity because we are created by God. So even someone who takes a life or commits some type of uh, atrocity is not beyond redemption. And we believe that they should be given the opportunity to repent and to be redeemed. So that's why we we no longer believe that the death penalty is an acceptable means of punishment. Now, since that uh, pronunciation by Pope Francis, Jose Antonio Jimenez was scheduled to be executed this past Tuesday. However, uh, Governor Rick Scott spared him from that, uh, signed a stay. Do you think that was in the back of his mind, even though Rick Scott may not be Catholic and follow the teachings of the church, do you think there's been some societal change to make him think about this, or do you think it was just a legal matter? Well, the bishops of Florida, every year we meet with Governor Scott uh, up in Tallahassee during Catholic days at the Capitol. He has an individual meeting with, with all the bishops, and every year we bring up this issue uh, of capital punishment because, as you know, Uh, Florida and probably Texas are the two states that execute the most people in our country. And um, while the governor is, uh, for the most part, pro-life on this issue, he feels as governor it's his responsibility to uphold the law and to follow through on the um, punishment or the judgment that someone has received. I'd like to think that his uh, issuing a stay or there being a stay issued in this case was due to the influence of the bishops. We always send a letter before every scheduled uh, execution uh, asking him to do so, that perhaps he might be changing his mind. Uh, Only time will tell, 
and we'll just have to wait and see. But for the moment, uh, that was good news. And the other side of the coin, too, is that the fact that there are people on death row that have been exonerated. They have later on after DNA testing and other evidence has come forward that, in fact, they were innocent. And we have interviewed some of those people right here in our own radio station. That's very, very true with the advancements in DNA. As you said, innocent people have been found. And who knows how many were executed that were innocent that, that were not able to be saved. I have visited uh, death row in Stark. I've actually visited there as a bishop and distributed communion and celebrated the sacrament of confirmation with one person on death row. And I can tell you that it's not a nice place. (laughs) Um, I visited there in August. There is no air conditioning there. They have some fans, but I mean, the, the heat is oppressive. So for anyone that might think that prisoners, when they are incarcerated, are living, you know, a, a nice life or a luxurious, a comfortable life, I, I can assure them that, that that is not the case. And for somebody to be in prison for life is truly a punishment. What did that visit do for you personally? I mean, I know you probably visited jails and going on death row, but I can tell you my experience was that it shook me up. How did this affect you as priest, as a bishop? Well, you hear about people on death row and those that are executed, but to actually meet them and have the opportunity to speak with them and to pray with them, to provide the sacraments to them, it is a very moving experience because you realize that it's a human being. So I I would say, yes, we, we, of course, uh, all of us need to be accountable for our actions and there are consequences to pay. But when I visit, have always visited prisons, I never asked somebody, why are you here? What I ask is, how are you doing? And what can I do for you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? So again, you see the humanness uh, that sometimes on the news or in the newspaper you wouldn't be able to encounter. In this segment, Bishop talks about confirmation and the Blue Mass from last year. A quick reminder that there's a Blue Mass coming up at St. Stephen Catholic Church in the Valrico Riverview area on September the 10th and at St. Timothy's Catholic Church in Lutz on September the 11th. For details, visit the website dosp.org. Here's some of that interview. As we move through our life, as we move deeper into our faith, when we reach that age of reason, when we become in our teenage years, we go through the Sacrament of Confirmation, and you're in that season right now where you're going to all over the diocese bringing uh, mostly teenagers into the faith. Some of these parishes are really big and full. Have you seen a change in kids today with regard to their faith life as compared to maybe where it was 20 years ago with all the advent of technology and the distractions that they have? Yeah, as you said, uh, this is definitely the heart of confirmation season. And this year, I'm really trying to do, I think, almost all of the confirmations myself with a little bit of help from Bishop Lynch and uh, another bishop and our abbot, Abbot Isaac, when I have other commitments. But it's been great to travel around the diocese and to visit our parishes for the sacrament. And as I do so, you do see differences in the groups of young people that are gathered to receive the sacrament. You know, I try to to think of myself uh, when I was confirmed. This would have been back in the probably in the mid to late 70s. I was in seventh grade, 
And I think the only memory I have of it is because there was a picture taken of me in a in a red robe, right? Uh, you know, with the with the bishop. And so I, I look at myself and I kind of wonder what I was thinking at that time sure. as a seventh grader. But I think today there is a challenge because we do compete with a lot of different sources. I think our young people have maybe um, a, a limited attention span, which is not surprising. You know, today, and even in my homily, I try to keep it short, uh, probably to about 10 minutes or less, because I know I start to lose them after that. <laughs> and I know that you had mentioned uh, off mic, as we were gathering together here, uh, that you had, had gone to a mass up at St. Timothy recently for the Blue Mass for the police officers, and there were kids there as well. And you were sharing how you kind of engaged them in that Mass. Share some of that. I did. We, as you said, recently celebrated the Blue Mass, which is an annual Mass celebration which honors and uh, prays for our police officers, firemen, first responders, and those who secure us. And um, it was beautiful because we had the children from Mother Teresa Catholic School there present. And besides uh, addressing the the officers and firemen and so forth that were present, I was able to speak directly to our children and to remind them that these men and women are the superheroes of our day, you know, that they put their lives on the line each and every day for us to keep us safe and to protect our freedom. And I also, in addition to, of course, always putting into their thought the possibility they might have a vocation to priesthood or religious life, asked them to consider maybe that they might have a vocation to public service uh, as a police officer or as a fireman and so forth. Yeah, our law enforcement over the last month here in the state of Florida have had a tough go with three officers being killed in the line of duty. Yeah, they sure have, and, and that's the other aspect of the Blue Mass is that we do remember and lift up in prayer those that we have lost in the line of duty during the past year, and of course pray for their families for their peace and consolation as well. Our next segments recorded last spring touch on the recent papal exhortation and Marian devotion. Uh, speaking of the Holy Father, he just came out with a new uh, apostolic letter, exhortation. He came out with an apostolic exhortation called Gaudete et Exaltate, which is Latin for rejoice and be glad. Have you had a chance to look over it? Sure. I've just gotten into it a little bit at this point. It's basically uh, an exposition on our call to holiness. You know, By virtue of our baptism, each of us are called to live good and holy lives and virtuous lives and in doing so, you know, to give good example to those around us and really to help each other to get to heaven. That's the ultimate goal. But this document speaks to us about our call to holiness and, and ways that we can achieve that in our lives. A lot of commentary, and from what the little bit that I've read, uh, it's written in a very easy-to-read translation and uh, really speaks to the heart of families and individuals. It certainly does, and this is very typical of what we've come to expect from our Holy Father, Pope Francis. His particular style is is very understandable, easy to read. You don't have to be a theologian or have a degree in theology uh, to, to really understand it. It's not meant for that audience in particular. It's meant for anyone who might uh, pick it up and, and start reading it. With the world that we live in, there are some people that have maybe given the Holy Father mixed reviews, and I use finger quotes on that, uh, during his papacy. Why is that? 
You know, John, I, I don't know that I'm exactly sure, but I would simply say that um, certainly Pope Francis has called us to change, to take a fresh look at our lives and our relationship with God and with one another. He's called us to, to greater humility, to greater mercy, and uh, to help each other on this journey that we're on. Whenever you ask somebody to change or whenever you challenge them a little bit, that can be uncomfortable because we get into our, our comfort zone. And I think our Holy Father, through his words, but more importantly, through his example, has called us to step out of our comfort zone uh, a little bit and to, to relook at our, our relationship with God and with one another. The Holy Father also mentioned a couple of weeks back that he wanted to create a memorial to the Blessed Virgin Mary that would be uh, right after the Sunday following Pentecost. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and what that, that's about? Sure. Well, of course, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, like all of our popes, has a great devotion to Mary, to our Blessed Mother, and recognizes that, um, that this is one more opportunity for us to, to honor her and her role in salvation history as being the, the bearer of the Son of God and accompanying him you know, throughout his life, being present with him. She is really the kind of the first disciple of her son, of our Lord. Uh, as we celebrate Pentecost and the, the birth of the church, it's an opportunity to honor our Blessed Mother and to recognize her role as that first disciple going forth uh, to proclaim the good news about her son. And that leads us to a nice transition. For some people, they don't really understand what consecration is and devotions to Mary in general. There's a little bit of confusion, and you know, why do Catholics do that kind of thing? Can you address that? Of course, and, and you're correct. That is uh, something which is often misunderstood about the Catholic faith. We have a great respect and reverence for Mary as uh, as the Blessed Mother, and the reason for that is because she perfectly cooperated with God's will. You know, she received the news that she was to bring forth the Son of God, and she said, "Let it be done to me according to your word." So she, as a young girl, we think probably 13, 14 years old, received this awesome news and uh, submitted herself perfectly to God's will. So because of that, we always look to Mary with a great amount of respect. We don't worship Mary, certainly not in the same way that we worship God or Jesus Christ. That's a, a different type of worship that we offer to God alone. But because of Mary's role in salvation history and bringing forth the Savior, we do have a great amount of respect for her. And we look to her as an example. She was arguably the one who was closest to her son here on earth. She carried him in her womb. She raised him as a child. She was with him during his public life and ministry. She was with him at the foot of the cross. And so because of her closeness uh, to her son, Jesus, we look to her to help us to be close to her son as well. For those that don't understand even the names of the churches, because a lot of them are Mary, Our Lady of Grace, Our Lady of the Rosary, Our Lady of Sorrows. How do those names come about and the devotions behind that? Yeah, so uh, you're correct. A lot of the churches will have in their name a title which is given or afforded to, to Mary, our Blessed Mother. And usually they recognize some aspect of her life, something that she experienced, uh, some virtue that she espoused in her life. So we know, for example, that she did experience great sorrow. How could she not? You know, watching her son be rejected, watching her son suffer and ultimately die. 
She experienced great sadness and sorrow. So to call a, a parish Our Lady of Sorrows recognizes that. And it's a way that those who are experiencing sadness or sorrow in their own lives, again, can look to Mary as an example of hope and to ask for her intercessory prayer. Are some parishes tied to locations? In other words, Mary or like Our Lady of Guadalupe? Is right. that a loca- that's a it me- would be city Guadal- in Mexico? Yes. So sometimes the title of the parish would have a particular name where there was maybe an appearance of Mary, an apparition, or something of that nature. So you mentioned uh, Guadalupe. Uh, I'm thinking of Loreto is another one, and so forth. Lords. Lords, of sure, course, Our Lady sure. of Lords. Um, with regard to the consecration, you know, we, we are consecrating our diocese this year to the Immaculate Heart of Mary as a way of entrusting our diocese, our parishes, our priests, our religious, our ministries, our schools, every aspect of our diocese entrusting that to Mary's care as our mother. Uh, Remember that our Lord gave us Mary as our mother at the foot of the cross. And so we look to her again to help us to grow in holiness and to grow closer to her son, Jesus Christ. So it seemed like during this 50th anniversary year, it was a perfect opportunity to undertake this spiritual offering. The image that we used in the sanctuary of the Immaculate Heart of Mary was a very, very beautiful and inviting image. Uh, During the holy hour, of course, I had my own opportunity to spend some quiet time in prayer. And when I would look at the image, I would just be engaged by it, just What I remember is seeing our Blessed Mother's eyes looking directly at me. I felt like she was looking individually at myself, even though there were probably about 1,500 people in the cathedral that day. Uh, And you're right, individuals wanted to take pictures with the image, and um, it was just a a beautiful day. And I think that's the beauty of art in general, especially religious art, that it reminds you that whether it's a depiction of Jesus, God, Mary— whoever that saint might be, that you're not worshiping that object at all, but they're reminding you that they are looking down at you. I would agree. In fact, you're right. I encourage all of the faithful to have images of our Lord, to have holy images, uh, statues in their homes. And the way I would describe it, it's, it's kind of like having pictures of your family there. It's not that you love the picture or the frame, but rather that when you look at that image of of a family member, that you are able to express your love for them. And uh, that's what these images do. They lead us to a greater devotion to our Lord and to Blessed Mother, and they help us to enter more deeply into the mysteries of our faith. In this segment, Bishop talks about his visit to Bon Secours Health System in St. Petersburg. You also had a chance to visit Bon Secours Maria Manor uh, over in, in St. Petersburg. For those who are not familiar with Bon Secours, it's a nursing home assisted living facility. So going from a, an area where you're, you're reaching out to the children a lot of evenings, now you're going to those who are in the twilight of their life. And I know it meant a lot to the people there to have their own bishop come and be a part of their day. It does, John, and it's also special for me. I've made a commitment to visit Bon Secours at least twice a year. So I usually visit once uh, in the spring, around Easter time, and then once uh, during Advent, so right before Christmas. 
and celebrate Mass for the residents and the staff there. And then with other priests that join me for that event, we celebrate the Sacrament of Healing or Sacrament of Anointing with the residents who are present. And I think that that brings them great peace, you know, because that's what that sacrament is about, is about bringing peace and both spiritual and and physical healing. You know, one thing I would just point out to our listeners is, um, you know, sometimes when we get older, our memories aren't the best, and we even have individuals that begin to suffer from dementia and Alzheimer's, and uh, I think we probably all know people that, that have suffered that. But it's interesting at Mass, when I lead them in prayer, for example, in the Our Father, they all seem to know it. It's like they immediately go back and remember that prayer, and that's a very, very beautiful thing, that that their faith is still a very big part of their life. And I think that's an important reminder, as you say, to the parents that are listening to this program that have children, that it's important to instill that that sense of prayer time at the dinner table, that, yeah, it becomes uh, sometimes rote every night, and we don't maybe take it as seriously as we should. We just go with the words. But as we get older and we hit that late stage of our lives, those prayers still mean something, even uh, at that, that late age. Well, sure, and if our parents and grandparents don't teach our children how to pray, who's going to? And when we teach them how to pray, we set a foundation of prayer in their life. My family always prayed, you know, grace before meals. We wouldn't think about starting dinner uh, or another meal without giving thanks to the Lord. And uh, that continued uh, from the time we were children to even as adults and now. It's amazing, though, the number of people that don't pray. And even they may pray at home, but when they go out for dinner to a restaurant, they don't feel comfortable praying in public. That's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad, and uh, it's interesting. I've, I've had uh, occasions where I've been with a group, and we make the sign of the cross and say a blessing, and, and people have commented about it that you know it's nice to see people praying. So uh, not only is it good for us, but we can give good example to others as well. I can speak at the Morris household many nights. I'll say, dinner's getting cold. Let's go. I'm getting hungry. We need to pray. <laughs> I don't know if that's okay at your house when you grow up. But. Well, when you're hungry, sometimes the prayer is a little shorter, but it's still a, a prayer and a blessing of gratitude to God. Bishop, we're about all out of time here, but I do want to remind our listeners that if they'd like to hear this program again or those we've recorded in the past, you can visit our diocesan website at dosp.org. You can also subscribe to this program free of charge by going to Stitcher or to your Apple podcast to subscribe. Just type in Bishop Parks right there in the search bar. You can also get the Bishop's weekly scripture reflections from his program, An Invitation to Worship, so be sure to check those out as well. And don't forget to follow Bishop Parks on his travels around the diocese on social media on his award-winning Facebook page, Bishop Gregory L. Parks. Is uh, you can type that in. You're on Instagram also. I am. I'm on Instagram at at Bishop Parks, and that's Parks with an E S at the end. Right. Uh, and then also on Twitter as well at Bishop Parks. Finally, if you have a question for Bishop Parks that you'd like to ask, you'd like me to ask for you on this program, you can simply shoot me an email at contact at myspiritfm.com. We'll be sure to get that out there. Bishop, can we close with your blessing for our listeners? Of course. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the abundant blessings which you have bestowed upon us. We ask for an outpouring of your Spirit that you may lead us and guide us on our path, that through our words, our thoughts, and our actions, 
that we may courageously live the gospel and we may continue to grow in our relationship with you and with your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you always. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual pastoral appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.